0: Listening to Law and Gospel on this March the 29th, Monday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're getting ready to get really excited about Holy Week. We have a Monday, Thursday service, a Good Friday service, and Easter Sunday. Now, a lot of churches don't have Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday services because they're not meeting midweek. So, we're going to be taking a look at, of course, the gospel reading for Easter, which is from Mark 16, 1 to 8. Very important passage. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it begins, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now, what they're talking about is they bought spices in order that they might anoint him after his death. Now, a lot of people have the idea that Jesus rose when the sun arose, and that's not really accurate. Jesus had already risen from the dead because the tomb was empty. Remember that big stone had been rolled away. And so it's clear that he had been in the grave for three days, but there's Jewish time and there's Roman time. And the Gospel of Mark actually uses both of those in different situations. What we're talking about is that sometime after the Sabbath was over, Jesus rose from the dead, and he didn't have to have the tomb open. No, the tomb was not opened in order that Jesus could get out. Remember that evening, Jesus meets with his disciples. They're in an upper room that is locked and closed, and he just appears to them. In other words, the walls and the doors don't hinder him from being present. So, the stone over the grave did not hinder Jesus from rising from the dead. And therefore, he had already risen from the dead because the text is clear. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they come to the tomb, but they're beginning to say to themselves, wait a minute, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. That is to say, they could not have by their own strength been able to do that. So they entered into the tomb. And when they entered into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting and with a white garment robe, and they became worked up. In other words, they became alarmed. And he said to them, what did he say? He said, do not be alarmed. Now, the translation in the ESV is, you see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. That's really not what the Greek says. He says, you see Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who is still in a crucified condition. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they placed him. Now, what does it mean that the angel doesn't say he was crucified, but he is crucified? If you'll recall on that evening, when Jesus appears to the disciples, the marks of the crucifixion are still on his body. In fact, Thomas says, unless I can touch those marks, I won't believe. And of course, the Sunday following, there's no notice of him having touching those marks, but he sees them and he believes. Seeing Jesus is really, really important. So the angel, and that's who most people believe, most scholars say this was an angel dressed in a white robe. And that white robe is very similar to Jesus at his transfiguration. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where he was laid, where they laid him. So the angel is telling the women, don't be so nervous. This Jesus of Nazarene, he is risen. He is not here, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter. He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And then upon going out, they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had them in its grip the esv says they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid now you wonder why would they be afraid in the gospel of mark any time that fear touches people it's usually a sign that the activity of god is at work remember when the disciples i should say the shepherds saw the angels who communicated to them the birth of jesus do not fear when zacharias confronted gabriel about the birth of john the baptizer do not fear. And the same with Mary, when Gabriel told her about the birth of Jesus Christ to her, a virgin. When you confront God, there's just fear. That's why we often hear from Martin Luther's commentary, his catechism, you should fear and love God. And that word fear is the kind of fear where you are in astonishment and when you're trembling, when you come face to face with God. It occurs both under the law and under the gospel. What do I mean by that? Look at Mount Sinai. Thunderings and lightnings. The people really feared the mountain. They feared God. So, under the law, because they know that they are sinners and could deserve eternal damnation, there is great fear. But also in the gospel, because it is so contrary to human reason and to the usual understanding we have of God, that there was no doubt that Jesus, when he was crucified, that there was great fear among the people. In in fact, I I might be changing my mind on a point that I had made a number of years, that there were two groups of people that are spoken of during Passion Week. The one is those who came with Jesus for Palm Sunday, and then those on Friday, who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. I had been taught and had thought that these were two different groups of people. Now, that still may be true. I'm still doing some work on that. But I read of a scholar who indicates that no, this could have been the same group, that the people on Palm Sunday were often individuals that were on the side of the road and joined in the hosannas to Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And remember that was a special donkey. It had been considered as pure and it also had nobody ever had risen on him. And yet when when it was brought to Jesus, Jesus just mounted the donkey and rode into jerusalem a wild donkey it shows jesus has the power over animals as he did in the 40 days in the wilderness where wild beasts were there but they did not harm him at all so at any rate what we have is jesus having risen from the dead and what we believe is the angel telling the women, go and tell the disciples and also Peter that he has risen from the dead. You can imagine that the women would have been astonished. Now, what's interesting here is that a lot of commentaries end Mark at this verse, verse 8 of chapter 16. And the other verses are often considered not to be part of the original Bible. This is because individuals at that time, like Eusebius, did not believe it to be part of the original Bible. A number of the manuscripts he had did not have the verses after verse 8. A lot is made of the fact, though, that what those verses speak of, all are spoken of elsewhere in the Bible. So it's not that there are lies in the verses after verse 8. It's really a scholarly decision on the part of some that because the various manuscripts that are known to be earlier do not have it in there, it is thought that this was an addition by scholars or writers or copyists after the Bible had been completed. It's not really a big deal because you cannot read a commentary on the Bible without finding numerous occasions when we're not really sure which Greek word, Greek phrase, or concept is being talked about. Just open up any commentary that uses the Greek, and they'll mention, well, one manuscript says this, another manuscript says that, And this is found, by the way, if you have a Greek Bible, at the bottom of the page. It's called a critical apparatus. And what it has down there, it has alternatives to what is considered to be the true Bible, what it was actually written. But there are still discussions about whether or not the changes made in the various manuscripts, which ones are true, which ones are not. There's a kind of thinking that goes on here. If a manuscript change is more difficult to understand, then that probably is the original. Because if a copyist is writing out the manuscripts, he's going to end up making it sound more simple for himself. And he therefore, when he copies a manuscript, may choose an easier way to understand it. This is why we have so many English translations, and a number of them are called paraphrases. They're really not accurate translations, but they are written from the point of view of the translator as to what the Bible really meant. And there's a lot of argumentation as to whether or not those things are true or not. Now, in this critical apparatus, there is not found any differences that change the meaning of Christianity. For example, there are not manuscripts who say And Jesus was arrested, but he did not die on the cross. He was able to escape. And Judas was the one who died on the cross. There's actually a religion that teaches that. No, there's no evidence of any change in the manuscripts that come even near that. So what we're dealing with on this Easter Sunday is the historical evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, in the epistle for that day, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, that, that's kind of a technical jargon you're delivering that which you received. In other words, he's teaching that which he was taught. And you know that the Apostle Paul was also taught by the Lord himself in the wilderness. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, what is he delivering? This is really important for Easter Sunday. He doesn't just deliver that Jesus died and then he rose. Even the devils believe that and they are not saved. But he adds something, which is the importance of his death and resurrection. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, what does he mean in accordance with the Scriptures? Is he saying, well, that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about, that he died on the cross, And he says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that what he's talking about? No, he's referring back to the Old Testament, where it is clear from Genesis 3.15 on that the promise of the gospel is that this Son of Man, this Jesus, this Savior, is going to come and die on the cross for our sins becomes even more clear in certain passages like Isaiah. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is, the Lord heaped on Jesus' shoulders every one of our sins, past, present, and future, word, thought, or deed, and he paid for them. By his stripes we are healed another passage from Isaiah. There's nowhere in the Bible that a person is saved except through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, And that's really what Easter is all about. Not just the historical events that took place. Crucifixion, whipping, thorns, nails, death, burial, and then resurrection. No, there was a purpose for all of that. And that's what you got to get across if you're teaching a Bible study on this or doing a sermon or even reading. What was the mission behind the crucifixion and the resurrection? As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, It was so that Christ died for our sins. And after he says that, he then does go through the history that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that also isn't just referring to according to the Scriptures he was raised. He's referring at the time that he wrote this, the Scriptures were the Old Testament. And there's no doubt that, remember Jonah? Jesus himself alerts the people that Jonah is the sign that they're looking for, who was buried in the waters in the whale, or whatever fish it was, for three days. So also shall the Son of Man undergo that three days. And that he was raised on the third day, also in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then the 12, and it says he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. There are some who like to try to prove the Bible is true, and one of the biggest things they go after is to prove that Jesus actually rose from the dead. The problem is, You can't use the scriptures to prove it. You can't use this statement that 500 brothers saw Jesus after his resurrection. Now, I believe that is absolutely true. But the only reason I believe that is because I believe the Bible is true. You can't give evidence for something being true from that which is your attempt to prove that it's true. It'd be kind of like a person is arrested for robbing a bank. And there are witnesses that say, oh, yeah, we saw him rob the bank. But then he is put on trial, and he's questioned, did you rob the bank? And he says, no, I was at home during that time. And the jury says, oh, in light of that evidence that he was at home, we declare him to be non-guilty. Yeah, you don't believe the words of a convicted or a person to be convicted of a crime. You got to look at all the evidence. And therefore, the Bible is absolutely true. But until one has faith, it's really impossible to believe it. You see, what the Mark passage does is make a point that Jesus has risen and you will see him just as he told you. We are not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead because we can now see him risen from the dead. No, what convinces us is faith given by the Holy Spirit that Jesus makes a promise that the disciples will see him. And the women hear that promise. And that is the important thing about Christianity versus every other religion in the world. In every other religion, they're saying to Jesus, come down from the cross, then we will believe you. But the thief, who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he did not ask Jesus to come down from the cross to believe him. He heard the words of Jesus at the cross, and faith was given to him, and he therefore believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah and therefore gladly said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Christianity is based on believing the promises of the gospel, and that only occurs when the Holy Spirit gives us that faith that believes such promises. And that's the goal of Easter sermons and Easter Bible studies and talking about Easter, that Jesus, the crucified one, has risen from the dead. And because of his crucifixion and resurrection, we receive the two gifts of the forgiveness of sins and the robe of righteousness. Righteousness. We'll be talking more about that on the next Law & Gospel when we meet with Mark Smith to look at the hymn, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. Join us on the next Law & Gospel. Till then, God bless you.